true melody, come true melanin. Come true melody, come true melanin. Hey everyone, welcome to My Melanin, where we discuss how the social determinants of health affect us as black people. I am one of your hosts, Mohammed, and I'm here with... You're here with Jade? And you're with Dina. We hope you enjoyed today's discussion. Come true melanin, come true melody, come true melanin. Welcome back to My Melanin, where we talk about the social determinants of health as they relate to being Black in Atlantic Canada. Uh, this is episode three, where today we're going to be talking about mental health and coping mechanisms um, in our community. So just talking a little bit about what it's like growing up and, and being a grown-up in Atlantic Canada and some of the different uh, mental health issues that we we face you know, as a collective and individually and the different ways that uh, that we deal with them. So I'll get us started by asking you, Jade, in terms of, you know, coming here from Africa later in life and your grandparents obviously being from, you know, the motherland, if you were to ask them about mental health and what that means and, you know, what they think of that, what, what do you think the answer would be? That's a great question. Well, my grandmother uh, back home is a... a mentally very very tough individual uh, i know y'all can relate to that old school you know way of thinking you know there's no such thing as weakness um and especially being someone who grew up during apartheid that was a, a very tough time for them so there was no such thing as taking care of your mental health so if i was to ask her today what is mental health she would most likely not know what that means and it, I guess if I, you know, explained or, you, you know, do you, how do you take care of yourself mentally? She would say on a day-to-day -day basis, she, she has a routine sort of kind of a day, wake up, go to work or, or whatever it is. So to be honest, I think my grandmother wouldn't really know what it is um, just based on how she was brought up and where she was brought up um, at the time. Yeah, I think I would agree too. I think even though from separate parts of Africa, being from Somalia, I think my grandparents would would kind of fall under the same sort of ideals of, you know, I think their life was just too hard to worry about, you know, how you were feeling or, or you know, what the day-to-day -day was like. So um, I could definitely agree with that. But what about you, Dee? What do you, what would you think your grandparents would, would answer if you, if you asked them that question? To be honest, if I asked them about mental health and what it is, I don't really know if they would have much of an answer. Um, if they did, it would probably somehow end up in, you just have to trust God and da-da-da-da-da. I find that a lot of people around here, I don't know about anywhere else, but anytime you talk about mental health or being depressed, you know, somehow grandmother or grandfather always turns it back to, well, you just take it to the Lord and this, that, and the other thing. And there's no real belief in, I guess, therapy or other ways of going about mental health and, and taking care of yourself that way. And I don't, I think it stems from a number of issues, but Definitely taking that to a spiritual sense and saying, you know, you just have to get in tune with the Lord to get yourself right. So that's usually where that conversation goes if I'm talking to them, I find. That's such a good point. I completely forgot about that part. Like my entire family are very, very strong Christians. And at any question or any uncertainty, it's always just ask God and he'll give him the, you know, he'll give you the answer. And not to say, I have nothing against religion in the slightest, but I do always question, you know, you're, you know, for individuals who are still depressed and who don't, to those who still pray to God, you know, what are the, 
additional steps that you were doing. So that's such a good point. Yeah, I completely forgot about, about that part. Yeah, that actually was, uh, that was segue right into my next question was, um, do you guys feel that the older generation, you know, uses religion too much as a crutch for, you know, explaining why you're down and stuff. And then I, I think there's a, there's a level of, of that helps. I think, you know, having faith in something um, is, is good, but at the end of the day, I, I agree where there's a, there's a level of self-motivation or, or self-drive that you need to have at a certain point. That's just my feeling anyway. Um, I think for me, like, again, growing up as an immigrant, but coming here at a really young age, I remember like the earliest days when my parents were, you know, didn't speak the language and we were still figuring out those were some of the happiest, like, to be honest, I know I was really young, but also it was like, there was, we were really carefree. Um, so there wasn't really any, anything to be upset about. It wasn't until, you know, my parents found station in life and we, we moved away and, and all this stuff that um, the real life worries really started to come into play. And you, you know, so uh, what, what would you guys say, or I would, I'll start with you, D. what would you say the first time in your life you started to recognize your own mental health um, as a real thing? That's a very interesting question for me to answer because I think about a year ago, I would probably say when I was like 13, 14, 15, just like really stressed for a teenager. But in retrospect, I think during COVID, I've been thinking a lot about this stuff. Um, And I would say that I actually began to recognize my mental health when I was around like eight or nine years old. I just didn't know what what that was at the time. I didn't really know how to put it into words. It wasn't a conversation that really came up in my household, mental health and, you know, stress and understanding all of this stuff. So um, it was definitely a whole lot younger than I thought it was. Um, and stressors came from many different things. I grew up in a single parent home. So there's all kinds of stressors that can come from that. Um, being one of the only black kids in a white community. So there were always just these things going on. So I would say that I definitely recognized it when I was very, very young. That's a good point, D. I think for me, it was when I moved to Canada is when I really started to, you know, a lot, a big light was shed upon me uh, from a few psychologists that would, you know, ask me about my childhood. And prior to moving here, being under in a stressful environment was, was normal to me. You know, my mother would say to me, you know, you're the, you're the man of the house. You have to, you have to take on these responsibilities. And psychologists listed me as a latchkey child. So that is a child that takes on more responsibilities that they, than they need to. Um, But those, it was just normal to me. It was normal to me for, to take on those, those issues or, you know, those stressful situations. And then moving here, seeing what youth or how youth are supposed to live quote unquote supposed to live uh opened my eyes and and in terms of like made me realize that hey you know I shouldn't be stressed about waking up at all hours of the night to check if the door is locked I shouldn't be worried about you know locking out car doors when we drive so so it's just small things like that and then it, it you know talking to a couple 
guidance counselors at schools as well um, also made me realize that that my mental health is is a very significant part as well as you know during school it, you know it has a huge effect on on how you learn in school yeah I think I can definitely relate to that as well um, but I think for me Jade and for like just piggybacking off the points you guys both made I think the additional sense of responsibility that I that I felt at a young age kind of made me feel not it wasn't reality but made me feel like I was more mature than I was so in the sense of mental health I think for me and actually having a moment to sit down and think about it it didn't come till later because there was always the sense of like well you're supposed to be able to deal with this like you're supposed to be able to you know you're the oldest so at the end of the day like this is this is the weight you're meant to bear um and you know it might be some truth to that or whatever but I think that kind of those blinders kept me from uh I would say addressing a lot of the stuff I needed to address you know until I won't say late but probably it was like 18 or 19 which is like 10 years past you Dean in the sense of you know when you recognize what's going on so like and and just kind of moving to the to the next thing what uh when did you realize when did you guys realize that you know, you needed to figure out ways to deal with whatever issues you had or, yeah. Jay? Uh, the big thing for me was, um, and I have my, my dad to thank a lot for this, uh, was sports. Um, my father put me in a whole bunch of, you know, physical activity exercises and, and, um, and sports uh, as well uh, to help me with stress uh, or, or, you know, basically to maintain my, my mental health. Um, and I think that has been a big thing for me for, for many years, uh, even now just trying new things. Uh, so my new thing right now is, you know, mixed martial arts. It's just something that keeps my mind occupied and, you know, active and while focusing on different things, uh, besides the stresses that, that I go through. What about you, Dee? Yeah, I kind of agree with you, Jade. Uh, my mom put me in a lot of extracurricular activities, not so much to helped me learn to manage my mental health, but just because she wanted me to be involved and think she didn't want me to just not do anything, you know, she didn't want me in the streets. So she put me in something to do. Um, I was in some sports. I played volleyball. Uh, I was in Taekwondo for a minute. <laughs> and, um, but what really got me into, I guess, that um, habit was music. I play a lot of instruments and I've been playing since I was around four years old. I started playing instruments. And so that's been one of my biggest coping mechanisms for sure. And I didn't realize that I used it that way until I was around 18 years old. And there's just a lot of stuff going on. Um, and a lot of people around me were dealing with mental health issues. And at some point I was playing my cello and I had realized that it helps me kind of calculate my thoughts and break things down and really understand where I am. It's like the one time where I feel like everything stops in my brain and I can just focus in on, you know, what am I dealing with right now? And so music was one of my best coping mechanisms. It still is for sure. But now I would say I write a lot more and I did go to therapy at one point and I'm going back. So yeah, there's definitely different ways around it. What about you, Mo? I think in a, in a subconscious or like in a, you know, in a way that I didn't realize growing up, 
before I knew what was going on, I would, I'd love to read like, and I would read anything. So I think just looking back at just being a young kid, like whenever I felt anxiety over something, I would literally just hide in, in somewhere with a book. Um, and I think similar to Jade, once I got to junior high and I was playing sports, that's definitely where I leaned towards where um, that sort of replaced um, the reading or the books as, as a way for me to, to, to deal with, um, with, with what was going on and to deal with the, the, you know, the things that were going on. So, but I think that uh, sports and exercise are two different things. Like I definitely think for me, it was basketball. Um, whereas I think the transition to using exercise now as I'm older, I don't have, you know, the, the organized sport anymore. Definitely the transition to exercise has been really, really important. Just a side note, Mohammed. Uh, I've known Mohammed since junior high, uh, and he has inspired me to read a lot. And I do remember him saying that he does read a lot. So uh, that that when you said that, Mo, I was like, oh yeah, I remember him going after you know back home after school, and I'd ask him what he would, what you know what what is he up to, and he'd be like, I'm just reading. And this is junior high, you know, not a lot of kids in junior high would just go home and read, but Mo Mo Mo. So what would you guys say is your self care? method now how do you guys take care of yourselves i think like you know just again exercise is definitely something that uh that helps a lot also talking i think one thing that i've realized especially with this year and and how you know things have played out in 2020 um talking to as many of my friends as possible and just being open with how i'm feeling and listening to people as well and I think one thing you said earlier, D, about therapy, I think that's something that we need to normalize as as a generation, as uh, as uh, as black people, um, because I've I've never been, but I'm definitely open to it, and I probably should go because it's something that I think again we don't really, you know, unless you do it, you don't really know the value of it, and you could definitely speak to that more. But I think that's something we should normalize as as uh, as a whole. Yeah, I can definitely vouch for therapy. I know that a lot of people have had some negative experiences. So there's a resistance towards going to therapy and then just being black people and questioning these systems, these healthcare systems, you know, they don't really want to seek out therapy. And then also going back to the whole religious thing, but yeah, I had a great experience going to therapy the first time. Um, I went to guidance counselors when I was in high school, but it's not really the same thing. I found that when I was in university and I went to someone who was actually trained to kind of guide me through that process, um, it helped me a lot uh, with everything. I didn't realize how much I was trying to balance until I went to therapy and they were saying, okay, what's going on in your life? And I was like, I'm doing this and this and this. I'm on this student council. I'm doing all of these things. I'm in school. I have a job. It was like, holy smokes, Dina, like you're 21 and you're doing all these things like you know, it's too much. And I had a music therapist the first time I went to therapy. So it was really great for me because that was already kind of my coping mechanism. So it just mm-hmm. kind of helped me go through that. Yeah. And I think in the, in the broader, like in the broader sense of, of community, I think there's definitely a, I wouldn't say a push, but I think there's definitely, a, there's a leaning towards coping mechanisms that might not necessarily be as healthy for individual or for community. Um, but at the end of the day, I think, like you said, the, like the lack of trust with the healthcare system, the lack of, you know, representation, like 
I personally, you know, didn't have a good experience with my guidance counselor in high school. Wasn't a terrible person, like, you know, meant the best for everybody, but just didn't know how to relate to me and, and what my goals were and my aspirations. So, you know, in a, in a broader sense, in terms of growing up here in Atlanta, Canada, I think the coping me- mechanisms that are the easiest to reach are the worst for, you know, just individual and for community. And again, I think that's why having this space, but as well as pushing these conversations is, is, is key. That's a good point, Mo. And I think like for, you know, a big thing that another, when talking to especially young, young black, black people is they feel that there's a sense of weakness if they do go to therapy. And for whatever reason that may be, it's obviously passed down from general, from what I understand it's being passed down. You know, I would hear some friends say to me, you know, my parents told me, don't go to therapy. It's a sign of weakness. You just got to pray to God. And so that seems to be a very common thing. Um, and even, and not even just here in Nova Scotia, this is like worldwide, even in South yeah. Africa, there was, you know, kids would say to me, you know, don't, you don't need any help. You can deal with this on your own. If yeah. you can deal with this on your own, you can deal with anything uh, yeah. from there on. But like, I don't, I don't see what the problem with like praying to God and going to therapy is at the same time. Right. No. You know what I mean? So, yeah. Yeah. I definitely know what you mean, Jade. I think. I know for me, like growing up in church, it's like you grow up in church and, you know, your parents are training up their child in the way that they should go, quoting scripture right now. And, you know, so they're doing all that and, you know, they're doing all the things. And then it gets to a point in their kid's life where they just kind of feel like their mental health is crumbling to an extent. And they're just trying to find other ways to cope. And the parent kind of feels like, no, you need to stay, you need to stay here in this structure that I've set up for you because this is the right way. But, you know, I don't know. I have a theology degree, so okay. I'm just going to say, <laughs> you know, if we believe that God is going to give people gifts to do certain things, why can't I go to a therapist? If they've been given the gifts and the tools to be a therapist, mm-hmm. I should be able to go to that therapist. Exactly. And fine. Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe I have a different perspective than everyone else I graduated with. But that's kind of my outlook on it. To be honest, I was in theology school. I was in seminary and I was going to a therapist. And so yeah. I kind of had both worlds and it was really interesting for me to kind of look at that. I feel like, and I'm not comparing the two. I, don't, I wouldn't say uh, by any means that, you know, they're similar at all. But I feel like, you know, using religion or, you know, reaching for for a bottle I, I feel like at the end of the day those are just you're, you're escaping your problems as opposed to addressing them head on and I think I, I'm not gonna speak for the community but I like I, I wonder if the aversion to therapy or speaking about like is just the fear of, of speaking about your problems or facing them head on because I feel like that's that's the first step of a lot of things right and that's well it's the hardest one too so I think that some of that fear kind of comes from privacy um, you know, what happens in this house stays in this house, yada, mm-hmm. yada, yada. I know I heard that a lot, like growing up at my grandmother's, at my aunt's, whatever, whatever. Yep. Um, or like you're a child, stay in a child's place. So if you spoke out of term from their perspective, you know, if you spoke out on something that didn't seem right to you, if you're a younger person in the household, you know, you were kind of shut down. So I think that sometimes in a way we were kind of taught to not 
seek out support from other systems or not speak out about things that were going on in our community or in our own households. Such a good point. And I don't know how many of y'all have heard this, but I hear, I heard it all the time is, you know, what would you know? How do you know? Or, you know, what do you know what stress is like as a kid? And that's, that again, brings that sort of, you know, you don't want to show weakness again. So my question to you guys, when you're, you know, undergoing a stressful time in your life, what, what is it that you do when you hit that point? Honestly, I, uh, I think I, I wouldn't say uh, like, I pray, but I also, I talk to, I talk to my friends. I talk to my family. I, you know, the people around me, I make sure at the very least know, you know, how I'm feeling, if not why. And sometimes that helps. Sometimes it doesn't. But at the end of the day, I feel like if at the very least the support system around me is, is, um, aware of where I'm at, then, you know, I'll be okay if anything were to go wrong. And I mean, it's worked so far. And like you said, I think exercise is another one. Yeah. I think for me, what I do, I've been writing a lot more, like I said earlier, Uh, similar to you, Mo, I do talk to my friends, depending on what it is. Um, Sometimes I just feel like it's better to just kind of deal with things myself. Um, I do pray. Um, Sometimes I don't feel like praying though. So if I don't feel like praying, I'm like, hey, someone I trust can you pray for me because I'm not feeling it right now like that's just that's real sometimes that's what it's like um and so definitely somewhere between like music and writing anywhere that I can be creative and express myself yeah that's a that's a good point D. I I'm a little different uh fortunate well I would say unfortunately in this case because I I'm a very private individual I don't and this is obviously from childhood experiences. I don't like to talk about my own issues uh, only because of the fear of, yeah, uh, you know, being judged or, you know, possibility of being judged by the other, by the other individual. But I also sometimes feel like most people cannot relate to what I'm going through. So, so, and that's the, obviously the wrong way of thinking. So what I tend to do is, you know, I'll do, I'll, do crazy things like like martial arts uh, and stuff like that, where it teaches me to be under stressful situations, but be calm at the same time. Because if I start to panic, then it doesn't it doesn't help the situation. Uh, or I'll you know Namdi calls me crazy for going on you know long bike rides uh, and stuff like that. So I sort of push my body physically to these idiotic limits, if you want to say. And and then after I feel a lot better, but I am working on talking to more people and and being a little bit more open but i'm i have to say like i'm very selective on who i talk to uh and and i know you guys can relate to that a little bit but mm-hmm. i do pray i do pray too uh as well and, and yeah i'll ask family to pray for me and stuff like that you know people that i can trust um, yeah yeah i think at the end of the day especially where the three of us as as you know young professionals and working in the, like, you know, in the working force and stuff, I think we find ourselves in, in spaces where we, you know, we might not feel represented. We might be the only person that looks like us or talks like us or what have you in a, in a, in a space that we're going to be a part of um, permanently. So I think the attention and focus on mental health and on, um, you know, checking in on yourself is paramount especially for us so um what is it like for you guys i'll start with you d what is it like for you in terms of 
do you feel like there's a, do you feel like there's a pressure when you're out there to, to please um, or to be a certain way and not even just with in white spaces, but even, you know, as a, as a black woman and with a degree, like, do you feel like, you know, there's, there's that pressure socially that, you know, you have to be a certain way in certain spaces? Um, yeah, I would say there is a sense of pressure sometimes. I think that now I'm, I'm getting more comfortable just being who I am in those professional spaces. Um, I would say that there are definitely times where I feel like, you know, because I have a degree or what have you, I have to re- represent my community in a certain way, you know, kind of putting that weight of, you know, you are representing a group of people to this group of like non-black people and so sometimes I feel some pressure in that sense um, because people already come through and have their judgments and things like that and so you want to like defy those judgments you want to show people that you know there's more to your community than what they see in the media what they see on the news or their prejudice and all that type of stuff so I think that as a black person a black woman um, who has certain level of education um you know you do try to at times put yourself into this box or what have you to kind of please other people because you know sometimes that's limiting your opportunities when you don't do that and things like that so there are times where I feel like I'm sacrificing myself and it does get really tiring and so I have to take space away and either be just with myself or members of my community to kind of get a recharge. Mm-hmm. I agree with that too. Uh, I, I sometimes always feel like I'm in this constant mode of trying to make other people comfortable around me. Um, and, you know, I work at a store where, you know, predominantly more, you know, white people do shop there. And I do feel like I have to speak a certain way so that I can, you know, um, make them feel comfortable and, and sort of, you know, I speak differently. I say words that I wouldn't typically say uh, and stuff like So I constantly feel, yeah, and, you know, I read, oh, haven't read, but I heard of a book called Whistling Vivaldi. And basically, long story short, is this individual uh, walked on ca- around campus with college gear on, uh, and he noticed that you know, white people would move to one side and didn't want to, you know, follow the same path that he did, walk on the other side of the street. But when he started whistling Vivaldi, people came to this realization, oh, he's educated or he's cultured, uh, quote unquote. So I constantly feel like we're in this, you know, exhausted mode of trying to please people. And, and it's in all cases, like it's in whether you go to the grocery store or whether, you know, but when it comes to our community, I want us to be, I want us to, you know, shed this light on our community. Like Dee said, not being, you know, the typical, you know, the typical things that we see on media and stuff like that. You know, how do we shed positive light on actually, you know, who we actually are? Um, I agree. I, I do have a question though, but why is it that we have to be the ones in terms of as black people, why is it that we have to be the ones to, you know, debunk what a certain segment of our, of our people are like, you know what I mean? When I see a white person, I don't automatically assume something in terms of, oh, you're this or you're that or anybody for that matter. So it just, this is just a question to think about or ponder, but why, why do we as black people, as young professionals, you know, in the working space feel like with our actions, we have to go 
you know, a certain direction beyond what our normal is to just to just to make people feel comfortable in terms of us being in their space, quote unquote. I think that we've been trained to accommodate, Mm -hmm. you know, um, some of our the potentials or the goals that we seek sometimes, or at least they seem to be connected to somehow adapting to non-black culture or what have you or things that are just associated with whiteness and so I think that sometimes we feel like we have to adjust ourselves so that we can get to a point where we're viewed as worthy enough or what have you to obtain certain things or certain social status and so I think that that's kind of why we we do that honestly because you could say that it's just you know, a North American thing that, you know, black people experience here, but, you know, we're, we can all relate to that and we all have different experiences and come from different places in the world. So, yeah, I don't know. I think we've just been trained subliminally. I think now through the media, especially. Yeah, I agree. And I think Mo, to your, to your question, you know, like Dee said, we're trying to climb up this ladder, but also, we're also trying to create an avoidance of conflict. Like we don't want, like we're constantly changing our image to avoid, I'm saying this very loosely, but to avoid getting the police called on us. Or, you know, even when I went for a jog with our producer this morning, Namdi, Namdi, you were moving too fast, by the way. But I was a little scared of a possibility of us being pulled over or being looked at some type of way. But, and we're constantly on edge, you know, we're, we just want to avoid all of these issues or conflicts um so i think that's a big a big issue for us as well yeah i I would say well i have a question just in terms of you know we've definitely all felt those sort of microaggressions or moments where we have to code switch or act different in a certain space have you and if you have in what ways have you guys have you ever felt supported by by white people in that space that also recognize the situation, you know, by, have you, have you guys ever felt that? And if so, how, what does it look like? I have, but it wasn't until after I had an experience where I had to say, this is what I'm dealing with. Like this, this is what I'm going through in this workplace that, you know, my manager, supervisor, whoever would step up or a coworker would step up and say, no, this is wrong. This isn't okay. This is something that she deals with all the time, you know, like let's cut the foolishness, but I, I have to go through it and lay it out for people before they even say, this is an issue. And I think that a lot of it can come from people just not even recognizing what a microaggression is. You know, you're touching my hair without asking my permission. You're just asking me certain questions like these things, these are microaggressions and people don't understand how small it is, but like how big of an impact it has. And so there's definitely a lack of understanding, but it, I have had people advocate for me for sure. It just comes from me having to lay it out first. So this is, this is a a question I've been meaning to ask, but so with the, with the level of comfortability that you might have with white people, is there a line of familiarity or friendship for you where like, you know, certain questions or behavior is crossing the line if I don't know you, but if I do, then it's okay. Do you guys feel like there's a level of that in, in your own experiences or or no? Man, for me, that's changed a lot over the years. Like growing yeah. up in a white community, 
Yeah. I used to let so many things go. Yeah. <laughs> and now I think about it and I get so mad because I'm like, you should not have yeah. addressed me that way or said that joke that wasn't funny or whatever. Like I used to just let so many things go. Um, I would say now, even though it's uncomfortable, you know, if you're reaching for my head, like I'm, I'm moving, I'm yeah. ducking, I'm dodging. What are you doing? <laughs> That's very bizarre. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. I debate. I'm like, should I just go and touch their hair? Yeah. And see how they react to because it? it's like, I, 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 and just to kind of, well, Jay, go ahead, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say it was the same for me, and it was tough too because I didn't know what was allowed or not allowed at the time. As you know, growing up in a predominantly white neighborhood, you know, Tantalon, if y'all know, y'all know that's there's a handful of us out here, but mm-hmm. yeah, I didn't know what was good or what was not. Like, people would ask, you know, ask to touch my skin, ask to feel my hair. People would say, you know, oh, you speak really good English, and and yeah, like D said, like I would let so many things go, but now, Muhammad, I there's no just because you and I are close to one another, that means you can surpass a certain level of disrespect, if you want to say. I, I nip that in the bud immediately because we have to, you know, we have to set the tone because if we let this individual surpass that um, disrespect line, he's, he or she is going to continue, you know, telling their peers or, or other people as well. Anyway, so that's what I think. I nip it in the bud from the get-go. You're, you're not getting away with anything. Yeah, you have to. I think, I guess my question is, what about, I don't, I don't know if you guys still have many like white friends that you're close to or not. I still have some. Um, and so what would you, or what do you do with those friends who you've, who've been around for a long time that might be too comfortable, you know, because of that passive behavior in the past? Like I now have friends who sometimes they'll say like, hey sis or whatever you know certain terms and I'm like "Mm, I don't like it and I'm like how do I you know I let it go for so long they're comfortable saying that like where where do I like set that boundary things like that you know I feel like that's something that people deal with a lot it can't just be me (laughs) I uh I think the my whole thing is and the, the reason why I posted it is some of the some of the behavior that we just spoke about and that we know happens. It's like, if you really, really think about it, would you behave like this to anybody else? So it's like friend or not stranger or not black or white. It's like, would you go and ask somebody to touch their hair? Like, would you like, and it's, it's just, so just to kind of bring it all back. It's like some of that behavior, it's, it's kind of, it's exhausting because it's like, this is not how people interact. This isn't like, it doesn't make any sense. But I think there's a, and I think within our culture, there's, there's a, like I, when I say well, our culture, I mean, Western culture, the society we, we live in, there's a fetish, fetishization of, 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 you know, difference of things that you're not familiar with. All of a sudden it's, it's exotic or it's, man, I just saw a picture of the day in 1950, they still had zoos in Belgium where they had black people. And there's a picture of a white girl and a black girl on either side of the fence. This is less than a hundred years ago, right? In a prominent European country. So I think deep, deep within our society, there's this level of, of fascination with, you know, different cultures or people from, from other lands that it's just like, you wouldn't act that way with anybody else or you wouldn't, you know, so it's just like, at the end of the day, 
it's that level of, and for me, it's, it's, it's a level of self-respect. Like you're not really disrespecting me or I'm not the one that looks like, like, you know, anyway. So that's just, that's just kind of my stance on it and how I feel. I agree with both of you guys. I definitely growing up, let a lot of, let a lot of stuff go. But now in my life, I, I trying to do my best to, to make those people not necessarily feel, you know, stupid or anything, but just like, Hey, think about what you do or what you say before you do or say it. Right. I think that's a big thing, Mo, because, you know, it's sort of the same. I I don't know if this has happened to you guys recently and it hasn't happened to me in a while, but it's the same sort of question as to, you know, when white people ask, how come you can say the N word and I can't? And my simple response is, well, why do you want to say it? And it's, it's, you know, it's crickets after that. And so, uh, you know, for individuals that I did, yeah, to, to, to these question, to those that I've been comfortable for so long and I've let so many things slide, what I do is um, I'm a very empathetic person uh, as well. And, and so I, I try to put myself in their shoes and, and I, you know, always ask like, you know, why do people ask or think the way they do? Anyways, long story short. So I always just nip it, like I said before, nip it in the butt, but in a very uh, calm tone uh so you don't want to be aggressive no because as soon as you show aggression you know it creates this you know animosity between or or big conflict or you know awkwardness Mm -hmm. or whatever you want to call it between the two of you so i so there was one time uh a friend of mine you know he said did you live in a treehouse back home and he asked me that in junior high i gave him a straight answer and he still asked me recently. So I said, you know what, man, I, I actually don't like when you ask those kinds of questions. It actually makes me feel very uncomfortable. And I feel very small when you ask that. And his whole tone changed. And and so anyways, I think for for us is to, you know, sort of keep calm and, and be patient as well. But anyways, our producers are sending us some funny messages, but I'm just going to let yeah. it slide yeah. No, again, I think it just comes back to like respect, right? Like, you know, I think one, uh, uh, there's a a term that's been flown around a lot this year is like the social contract. And in the United States, Black people feel like the the social contract on there and hasn't been held up by society. And I think as individuals, there's a, you know, there's a contract we all have with each other. And I feel like one of those tenants is respect. So it's just like, again, respect is, 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 where I draw the line and it's at the end of the day, if I feel something was said or done that passes that line, right? Like, I don't know. So it's, 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 it's respect for yourself and respect for other people. And you can't respect other people until you respect. That's a big thing is respect for yourself. You don't, you know, we, we tend to just bottle up these emotions and, and not, you know, confront that in the, you know, those individuals. And then we come home and then we're depressed and then we don't want to see. So it's this vicious cycle. So I think for us is to, again, just kill that that, that chain immediately. Cut that chain yeah. immediately. Can't be scared of the risk. I think that no. you know, if you're at a job all day and your white boss is saying certain things to you and you, you just keep quiet because you want to keep your job. And it's like at some point, you know, it's do I want to sacrifice my mental health, my, my sense of self, or do I want to like, like my dignity or yeah. can I just leave this crappy job <laughs> and yeah. go a better one i had to deal it's not with not worth it no it's not no. and i i think like just to circle everything back i'm saying like 
with with the coping and how as a community we need to we need to be there for each other is i remember and you guys speak to this because you guys have been in nova scotia i'm still i'm i'm in pei still but wasn't there um, a protest recently where people were protesting um the nova scotia human rights commission and how they more or less weren't doing their job and there was cases that were being escalated to them and were seemingly and their excuse was constantly oh we dropped the ball and there was you know gaps in communication so it's evil when anyways even when people were you know escalating situations in the proper channels especially black people people of color indigenous people their their issues weren't being addressed properly because at the level it was supposed to be addressed there was no action so it's it's paramount and that much more important that we as a community have these resources for ourselves and we have these um outlets for each other um at the end of the day I think so too, along with that, in the meantime, you know, creating spaces where we can, like I said, recharge and kind of get back to center because we need a way to kind of cope in the meantime and figure things out. You know, things aren't going to change overnight. So what can we do now? Um, I don't know if you guys have any sort of things that you do to kind of recharge and get yourselves back at it to go back into the world. But yeah, like, like we said, talk to talk to family talk to friends as much as you can and exercise um don't be scared of therapy i think one thing that i want to push and i'll I'll strive for in my life and i know you two are as well and dina you're already there is is you know representation in in the health space because at the end of the day that's there's that's where there's a huge gap um and there's a huge you know need that's just being papered over at the moment that you know i think is our responsibility well not responsibility but it's it's a need to fill so totally and i think we need to create these spaces for you know it's a comfort zone we want to create this comfortable zone for especially youth which is you know i think a lot of us are sort of lost uh nowadays you know i think that um, like you said more we need to create this trust in the healthcare system because there is a large distrust um for that um, and, you know, the question is, how do we how do we create these spaces? And it, the big thing is to encourage black people to, to enter those systems, you know, yeah. join it, because a lot of us feel limited, too. But anyways, I think re- in a way of recharging, you know, I like to lay off the technology for a bit, lay off social media for oh, a little good bit, point. Um, good point. spend some time with, you know, close friends and family. Talking to you guys is a form of recharging, too, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think for me, recharging looks like many different things. Um, It could be reading, it could be writing. Like around once a week, I try to gather with some of my people, either it's like me and my cousins or me and my closest friends in the Black community or whatever, and just spending time together and just being ourselves. You know, you don't have to think about all the other things. You don't have to code switch. You don't have to do all this stuff. You can talk about culture and whatever. It is what it is, and you can just be your entire self. So I try to enter into those spaces as much as I can for sure. Yeah. I think uh, this is a perfect segue to kind of end off and, and introduce our next episode, which where we're going to be talking about healthy behaviors and what that looks like. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Before we wrap up, I'd like to say shout out to our sponsors, the production team, Cohen McDonald for creating our logos and Charles C. Ruth for our music. If you haven't already, subscribe to our socials to keep up with us, your hosts, and all things podcast. 
see you next episode.